All right, we're nearing the end of our discipling class. Uh, for those of you who may be newer to it, we are looking at how do we, how does God intend for his people to be engaged in spiritually intentional relationships with one another for the purpose of helping one another get to heaven. Uh, and so uh, we've talked about how you can do that with someone if you're a little bit ahead of them in the, in the faith. And you're kind of helping them with areas that you're stronger, they're weaker. We've talked about how you, if you might be newer uh, to the faith or not far as along, you might be looking for someone who can help you. And then there's also kind of peer-on-peer relationships where you're just walking with one another in friendship. But it's not just friendship. It's intentional friendship where you're seeking to bless them, they're seeking to bless you. And that uh, then enables growth for both you and them. Okay, today we're going to topic cover the topics of evangelism and missions. And Julia, would you get me uh, one of my own note papers because I forgot to get one. Okay, you got the next one. Thank you. All right, so there is a panel of notes in the back. Get it? So why are evangelism and missions, why are we talking about that in the concept of how we help one another grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's because... Um, These are such critical elements to Christian discipleship, right? A true believer in Jesus Christ is concerned that his kingdom come, his will be done, his name be hallowed, and that that happened throughout the earth. And that happens in the context of one soul after another soul after another soul coming to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so as part of our Growing in our relationship with Jesus, we have an increasing or ought to have an increasing hunger for sharing the gospel and for seeing the cause of Christ advance in the world. So evangelism and missions, you know, they're not really two separate topics. I mean, evangelism is is telling the gospel to unbelievers. Missions is doing evangelism except across cultural barriers, which can be, you know, thousands and thousands of miles across the ocean, or it can be uh, in a particular community. There might be a cultural, uh, say you've got a, uh, you're in a city that has a large immigrant population that's coming in as refugees. And that may be, that you may consider that almost a missions context, even though it's happening right in your own back door. So how should you think about evangelism and missions for yourself? How should you, as you're seeking to help your friend who's in Christ, Think about evangelism and missions. How should you sharpen one another in this very important topic? All right, let's talk about why we should be talking about evangelism with one another. Why should we, as we rub against each other, have evangelism and mission in our conversations? Well, number one, we understand that evangelism is normal for Christians. Talking to other people about Jesus, seeking to persuade them to believe in him, that is normal and commanded for Christians, it's compelled and commanded, and we see in a number this in a number of places. One of the most lovely is in Second Corinthians five, where the Apostle Paul writes, "Since then we know the fear of the Lord. We try to persuade men. Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all, therefore all died, and He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them." and rose again on their behalf. So he doesn't say, since we're apostles, we try to persuade men. 
And he doesn't say, since we have a special gift for evangelism, we try to persuade men. He says, because we fear the Lord, we're compelled to share the gospel and the love of Christ. And the same should be true for every believer. Now, is there such a thing as the spiritual gift of being an evangelist? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. And God's given evangelists to the church, and he's given people, some particular people, with gifts of evangelism, where they, are, uh, they have a special ability from the Lord to, be, to, have, uh, to have both ability and, I believe, a certain measure of success in sharing the gospel with other people. But does that mean that those of us who don't maybe have that particular spiritual gift, does that mean that we don't need to be involved in the practice of evangelism? Of course it doesn't. Not all of us have the spiritual gift of encouragement, but we have all a responsibility to encourage. We don't all have the spiritual gift of mercy, and yet we're all required to, to show mercy. So just as there are people who are particularly gifted in evangelism, I think my father was one, if you know him. Uh, but that doesn't mean that those of us who don't find it as easy or do, don't have a, the, who don't have a particular gifting in it, don't need to also be working. We, we, since we fear the Lord, we seek to persuade men to come to Christ. You know, evangelism is commanded of all Christians. We're told to go and make disciples of all the nations. Why do we share our faith with an unsaved world? It's because it's what God commands us to do. It makes no sense to hoard the gospel or keep it to ourselves because we do have the very best news that anyone could ever want to know. So we obey Christ's command, and therefore we share the gospel. So number one reason that we're engaged in evangelism is because the Lord commands it and expects it of us. Number two, it's just a real source of joy to be engaged in helping other people have the lights turned on so that they see Jesus and all of his saving work and he goes in their, in their minds. And they come to Christ, right? That's just an amazingly joyous work. I've said this over the last couple of years. What if every believer in Redeeming Grace Church began to pray, Lord, use me personally in some way in helping one person come to know Jesus in this coming year? If, what if the Lord answered that in even a small way? Wouldn't that be a lovely thing? So it's an incredibly joyful and blessed prospect to be involved in evangelism. So there's two verses in Isaiah that I think uh, uh, illustrate this really well. So Isaiah 49, these are in your, in your handout. Go up onto a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Do you think that guy, you know, do you, do you think God's people, as they're up there on the high mountain proclaiming the news of salvation, do you think they're like really kind of miserable doing it? No, it's not the picture that you get. This is a joyful, blessed thing to be involved in. And then Isaiah 52 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And Paul picks that up in First Corinthians, or no, in Romans 10, and says, uh, the gospel minister, those who are sent out to proclaim the gospel, uh, their feet are beautiful. 
So, it's a glorious, joyful thing to be engaged in the cause of evangelism. Uh, The third reason why we encourage evangelism with one another, it rests in its ultimate purpose, which is to glorify God. So you think back to one of the most wonderful central texts of all the Bible, Romans 3, 25 and 26. Jesus, whom God displayed publicly. Well, no, let's, yeah, let's see, where am I going to start? God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies, excuse me, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So the purpose of God's substitutionary work in Jesus Christ was first and foremost to vindicate the name of God. Because his prior forbearance of sin under the old covenant had caused his justice to seem to be in question. So David, let's think about David. David, what sins did he commit among others? What are the ones that spring to mind? Murder and adultery. And God forgave the guilt of his sin. How could God forgive the guilt of his sin? God did not punish David as his sins deserved. And the animal sacrifices, you know, were only placeholders. They didn't really do the job. right? How? That creates a, a, a justice problem. David's sin deserved hell the way yours and my sin deserve hell. And yet God forgives his sin. And and in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins that were previously committed. But but in in what Paul says is the present time, which for us is, I think, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came, he definitively paid the death penalty that you and I deserved who would live later and those who who had lived before who put their faith in Messiah. And so the justice problem is solved because God... Uh, carries out his justice upon his sinless son. Right? So the, God's, the gospel is about God's justice. We know from other places in scripture that God showed love to us through the sacrifice of his son. But the glory of God is the thing that he has in mind. Um, God's glory and the good of his children are never to be separated. As if God is acting for his glory and that must mean he's not acting for our good. No, 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 no. Or he's acting for our good. That must mean that he can't act for his glory. No, no, no. He acts always for the good of his people and for his own glory. What glorifies God is good for us. So as we go and we tell another person, another sinner, you can know the forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ because Jesus justly took the punishment for your sins. That is a way that God's justice and his righteousness and his glory is on display. Another one I thought of was um, back to John 15, where Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before he's betrayed, or the night he's betrayed. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Right? So Jesus is working. He's working to see fruit in their lives so that God can be glorified and also so that their joy 
can be full. And one of the things that, when, we, when it says we bear fruit, I think one of the things that, the, one of the kinds of fruit we bear is as we make disciples of other people and we see more and more people come into the kingdom. All right. So that's why we want to be talking about evangelism with one another, not just talking about raising our kids, not just talking about fighting against particular sins, not just talking about living in contentment in the midst of a hard world. We need to be talking about how we're going to be active in sharing our faith. Okay, how can we do that? How can we do that? In your discipling relationships, you gain more motivation for evangelism when you understand why you're doing that. Discipleship, though, is not about behavior modification. Behavior modification is when I was doing this, I am now going to do this. I was doing this, I am now going to do this. I'm just changing my behavior. Yes, that's good, but but discipleship is about the shaping of a worldview. It's about the shaping of a Christian's heart, mind, desires, and motivations. It's for me becoming like Christ from the inside out so that I then do the things that Christ wants and the things that he does. Right? It's an out, inward change happens and leads to outward behavior. It's not about just, oh, fruit bearing isn't like going out to a dead apple tree and stapling apples on it. You know, hey, look, an apple tree. Right? It's not just about the outward behaviors. It's about the inward heart. Why do we evangelize? Because our hearts are motivated by the things God loves. Now, imagine you're trying to help your buddy... Or you're trying, you and your buddy are trying to help one another in your practice of evangelism. How, how do we go about this? Well, number one, of first importance. If I'm trying to, let's say for sake of argument, I'm trying to help somebody. Uh, I'm trying to help a younger believer grow in their faith, grow in their practice of evangelism. Well, the first thing is I need to have an active concern for the lost in my own life. How can I help him in evangelism if my own heart is very cold toward non-Christians and I have no particular zeal to see them come to know Jesus? Am I going to be effective at teaching him about evangelism? I'm not. I'm not. So first I have to make sure that my own heart is warm, that my own heart has an active concern for lost people. It's just hard to teach what you lack yourself. Uh, if you are a discipler, though, if you're someone who's helping someone else, it helps when your friends see evangelism as a natural part of the fabric of your life. It doesn't have to be done with a special program. It doesn't have to be done as an occasional activity. I'm going to go out today and do evangelism, right? But is it a part of the warp and woof of what you're doing, that you're engaged with people talking about Jesus? It's part of your normal, everyday experience. So, number, so what I said, it's hard to teach what you don't have yourself. Number two, enthusiasm is contagious. If I'm excited about something, and my friend and I are, are in, deeply engaged with one another, what I'm excited about, you know, often he's going to get help, it's going to be helped to be excited about it too. Right? And so, um, my enthusiasm for sharing the gospel, can rub off on my friend. 
And it can also build my friend's confidence. If I'm engaged in evangelism on a regular basis, and if I'm talking to people about Jesus, and I talk with him about how things are going, then that can build confidence in him. We can, or we can talk about, the, like, my friend can say, oh my goodness, I'm scared to share the gospel. Well, why are you scared to share this gospel? Well, because I don't, I don't feel like I, I know enough. I, don't, I feel like if they, they ask me a hard, if, someone, if I'm talking to someone about Jesus and they ask me a hard question, I'm not sure what I'm going to say. Okay, let's talk about that. What are some common questions that non-Christians might, or objections that, that your non-Christian friend might, um, might have, and, and let's talk about them. Let's see that you can get some better answers so that you can have more confidence when you go up and try to talk to people about Jesus. So, enthusiasm, your own enthusiasm about evangelism will help them be enthusiastic. It will also build their confidence. If I'm able to say, you know what, I was, buddy, I was really, I was really nervous about coaching baseball this past season because I wanted to talk to to other parents about Jesus, but I, I was struggling to know how I was going to do that. But do you know, I was praying for so-and-so and and for so-and-so, and and then I got this opportunity that I didn't expect, and then I was actually able to open my mouth and say and introduce Jesus into the conversation. And you know, know, I got to invite him to church, and I don't know if he's going to come, but it actually, I got to have an intentional conversation. Well, the person you're talking to it may help them to say, boy, if that can be true for you, I wonder if it could be true for me. And so it can help talking to one another about how things are going in evangelism can encourage one another. So note, when we have a share time, if you've had an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus, consider looping us in. Because if I hear that you're getting a chance, you're out there, trying to talk to people about Jesus, then it's a goad and a spur and an encouragement to me to be doing the same thing. So as we rub up against each other, our enthusiasm for sharing the gospel can build as we, as we talk about it with other people. Uh, another thing is, uh, why, why should our own hearts be engaged deeply in evangelism? Well, it's because evangelism, like many things, is a habit. I don't know if you know what I mean by this, but I tend to notice that if I'm in the if I'm in the if I'm in the habit of talking to people about Jesus, what seems to happen? I am watchful for the next opportunity with the next person to talk to them about Jesus, and it's a little easier to do so because I'm in practice. I'm in training. Now, you know what else is a habit? Not evangelizing. Right? We can be practiced in not talking to people about Jesus and going through our, our days with blinders on, not seeing the opportunities to minister to other people. And we're going to the grocery store to get the, to, to get the milk, not to build the connection. We're, going to, you know, we're, we're coaching baseball uh, in order to build skills in our kids, not in order to facilitate relationships that might lead to conversations about Jesus. Right? It's all about kind of, a lot of it's about where's our, where's our mind? Are we in the habit of thinking about how am I seeking to minister the gospel and move this one person, one, one at a time, one at a time, one, one bit at a time, one bit at a time?
Um, <laughs> when I was, uh, my kids just finished basketball, and uh, their coach came to church at Johnny's inv- Johnny Stoughton's invitation on Christmas Day, and uh, you know, we, he and Johnny and I both have a heart for this guy, and um, so he came on Christmas. He, he knew that I was singing, or he knew that I sang. He, he knows Johnny and I are still part of it. So, you know, one of the last practices, we're going in together, and I say, hey, Zach, how are you doing? He's like, hey, good. How's God doing? <laughs> I've never been asked that question. How, how's God doing? And I confess I wasn't quite ready for it. And so I said, I think he's doing just fine, <laughs> just fine Zach. Uh, yeah, I think he's still still on his throne, still reigning over heaven and earth. Right? He says, is he angry at me? Okay, I wasn't quite ready for that one yet. <laughs> he's, and we're, we're actually actively going into the gym. So it's like, you know, and, and hassling and hurrying kids in, right? So there's, you know, it's, it's, not, like we're having, it's not like we're having a nice conversation over coffee, right? And, and he's like, or... or or maybe he's not supposed to do that. Maybe, maybe that's not his deal, you know, being angry. I said, well, and by this time I'd kind of collected my wits. And I said, well, Zach, it, the Bible, the Psalms do say that the Lord is angry with the wicked every day. He said, well, I try not to be wicked. <laughs> Good for you. He says, but these kids make me wicked. <laughs> and then he had to go coach, right? But... But so, so that was one where I have been trying to think about how to minister to this guy. Johnny has been trying to think. Johnny and I, because of how our, our sports, our kids' sports schedules overlap, Johnny and I are like evangelism buddies, right? We're both trying to network with some of the same people to try and uh, to see how, how, uh, how we can be moving the gospel forward. Which, by the way, is super helpful to, that I can, you know, that Johnny and I can actually run, I bounce ideas off. Of, well, you know, you know how, how, do you have that conversation or whatever? So it's a ton of fun. It's something that you can do together. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to be, be in a posture where I'm ready. I just want to be in a posture where I'm ready, where I'm on the balls of my feet. And so that even if something like that catches me a little off guard, I'm still in the game where I have an expectation I'm going to try and talk to somebody about Jesus. I don't go around expecting I'm not going to talk to anybody about Jesus today. Right? When you get up in the morning, do you, would it be more surprising to you if at the end of the day you'd told nobody about Jesus or if you'd told people about Jesus? Which would be the more surprising? Now, context, life circumstances, I understand. But do we have an expectation that we're going to be involved? Now, and as you grow in your heart for the lost people that are around you and grow in your love and affection for your friend, it's not unlikely that that will spur in them and it will be kindling to them to spur their love for evangelism as well. You can take time as you're having conversations to think through how you can strategically reach out to others. Evangelism doesn't have to be spontaneous. We should be ready always to give an answer to the, for the re, anyone who asks us the reason for the hope that is in us. Uh, that's First Peter. But then sometimes it can be, evangelism can be deliberate and planned out, Right? So sometimes it just takes a simple conversation with a friend to help them plan. So here, look, look here on the, on, the, on the form, or on the uh, left side of the inside of the sheet. Here's how you could have a conversation 
with a fellow believer about evangelism. Take some time to think how you can strategically reach out to others. How? Help them think just who's in their sphere of influence. Who's in their sphere of influence? J.D., who are people in your immediate sphere of influence about who need to know Jesus? Your teammates, right? J.D. has an absolutely obvious example of a sphere of influence. Right? Peter, who is it for you? People at school, people in classes, people on the drama team or, or whatever. You know, I'm just poking on the kids today. Uh, uh, let's see, who else's kids? I've done the, the Larson family. Uh, kids. No, Natasha, who's in your sphere of influence among others? Your husband. Oh, yes, family, right? Colin, what about you? Family, yeah. So we've got family, we've got work associates, we've got people that are engaged in, in, in playtime activities, you know, and, and who, who's around you? Who are you spending time with that you can actually leverage uh, your relationships for the gospel? So talk through it. Who's in my sphere? Okay, baseball season's starting. That puts a whole new set of relationships in my sphere. Talking about that. Who's in your sphere? Then helping them identify people to pray for regularly. You may not be able... You can't probably pray for everyone that's in your sphere of influence. You ought to be wanting to share the gospel with them, but you can't always pray for everybody. So who are maybe a couple of people you're going to pray specifically? Lord, help me share the gospel with this person. Give me an opportunity to talk about Christ with this person. Help me invite so-and-so to heart-to-heart. Help me invite so-and-so to Men's 416, right? Praying regularly for particular people. And then you pray together, right? So, Eric, let's, let's pray for the people that we're looking to reach out to. Who are you? Who are you looking to share the gospel with? Who am I looking to share the gospel with? Pray together for those people. Then what can happen next Sunday? He's like, did you get a chance? to? Have, you, you, you were going to have lunch with so-and-so. Did you have a chance to get into a spiritual conversation? No, nah, it didn't happen. He got paged, you know, or something like that. But, you know, we're actually able to keep one another encouraged and valued. We talk with one another about attempts to share the gospel, right? You know, you know, what cool opportunities did you have? What cool opportunities did I have? How did I really feel like I munged that up? Ah, you know what? I swung the, I swung the, the bat over the plate, right? There was topspin. It fouled out. But you know what? We tried, Right? so that we can encourage one another in our good days and our bad days. Just simple conversations to give your friend the encouragement that they need to be bold. Right? Oh, I had this great conversation, but then he asked me this totally stymieing question, and I didn't know how to ask. I didn't know how to answer it. Okay, well, tell him that you'll get back. You know, when you do that, when you have a question like that, just say, you know what, I don't have a great answer for that. Let me get back to you. And then, you know, we can talk about what the answer is, and then you can go back into the game. All right, a few other ways that you can be involved with your, with your friend in, uh, in helping each other grow on evangelism. You could read a book on evangelism together. Like last week, week, week we talked about how to use good books in our discipleship. So there's a few suggestions there. Uh, one I talked to you about last week, Evangelism by Max Stiles. Uh, then there's The Gospel and Personal Evangelism by Mark Dever. Really excellent book, Tell the Truth by Will Metzger. Uh, J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. The other two I don't, I'm not familiar with personally, but you know, I'm, I trust those resources. Um, so, you know, it's like, hey, I want to grow in my practice of evangelism. Well, let's read Max Stiles' book on evangelism together and talk about it. 
That's one way. And then I think the last thing, keep in mind the, ch- the importance of the church in evangelism. A healthy culture of discipleship should do a lot to commend the gospel to an unbelieving world. By watching how we function together as a group of Christians all seeking to live for Jesus, unbelievers will either see the gospel to be true or false, hopefully true. A healthy church culture will spur its members on to evangelism. So, for example, in the Sunday service, we pray regularly for the gospel to go forth, for our missions partners to be strengthened and resourced so that the gospel can go out. In our share time, we hear real-life examples of members sharing with others. And we want to regularly encourage evangelism through our corporate witness. So I want to talk for a minute about the, my, one of my favorite things in evangelism, which is the concept of net, fish, net fishing. Right? A lot of us think about evangelism as I take my fishing pole and my worm and I go out to a pond no one else around and I cast my net. Right, And the reason, of course, is Jesus uses the, the analogy of a fisherman to talk about evangelism. I will make you fishers of men. Right, so, And I go out and I'm casting the gospel, my gospel bait and there's fish and I'm seeking to uh, to win them, win these people, and, and I'm relatively disconnected from everybody else. Right? I'm just out there fishing. Now, of course we are in our own context. Of course we're out there, out there seeking to share the gospel with people. But there's also the concept of net fishing. If you've ever seen fishermen fish with a net in a group, what's true about it? who's holding the net? Is it one guy? Who's holding the net? Every people. All the people are holding. All the people are holding the net. Everyone's holding the net, and that allows them to work together uh, with and with a greater, uh, and honestly, a greater, a greater facility and ability to catch the fish. So, the, what what I want to see that as an analogy is how we can engage in evangelism with the whole team. One of the Easy ways to do that is by engaging with non-Christians through gospel events. Right? So, obviously, wonderfully, is the Sunday morning worship gathering, right? Right? If we can invite our friends to church, that is a wonderful opportunity for them to be ministered to. Now, let me ask this. You know, your turn to talk now. What are all the different kinds of advantages when we are... We get to invite a non-Christian to come to Sunday morning, and they come. What are some of the advantages of that? What are some of the blessings of that? They won't leave without being asked who they are or being greeted by about ten people. Okay, so Lord willing, they'll they'll be greeted in a friendly fashion and made to feel welcome. They'll hear the gospel. They'll hear the gospel. How will they hear the gospel? Because they might hear the gospel from you in an individual conversation. Hear it from the pulpit. You hear they hear it from the pulpit. They hear it through the authoritative preaching of the word, which we do believe carries God's special blessing. They'll hear it through song. They'll hear it through singing, whether they sing or not. They'll hear the words of the gospel in the songs. See it in the table. They'll see it at the table. The table is the word, a visible word, as Jesus is made available to sinners in the body and the blood. 
So they'll see the gospel and hear the gospel in lots of ways. They'll also, they'll also see a more rounded picture of Jesus than they can see just from you. Right? You are one part of the body of Christ. But just as you can't get a great picture of what someone looks like from just looking at their little finger, it's helpful to see the whole. And as we're all together, we better demonstrate and show forth the whole picture of who Jesus is. And then, guess what? What happens, what happens after the service when what Heather says has happened and people are greeting them? What kind of things happen then? Nope. Chris? Um, at the at Heart to Heart, uh, Flourish yesterday, one of the guests who's been coming regularly to events shared, she's like, she said, um, you people really love each other here. And that is different from what I experienced growing up. Okay. So guest says, wow, you people really love each other. Yeah. Uh, to use First Corinthians language, they'll, they'll glorify God saying, Surely God is in this place. Right? So as they see the love, right? All men will know that you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another, Jesus says. So they perceive the love in the body for one another. They perceive the love of the body for them, that they're welcomed. And guess what? That gives you a chance to bring someone on board. What if I, what if I introduce my guest to Damien? And Damien has a common interest with my guest, maybe one that I don't have. Maybe they're both fishermen, and I'm not a fisherman. And so they get a chance to talk about things that continue to build bridges, to build relationships, to build conversations, to build gospel conversations, right? So we're, we're helping one another onboard relationally with other people. So... Uh, Net fishing, whether it's through inviting someone to heart to heart. Now, there's another advantage. What if you're like, boy, I really do have a desire to communicate the gospel with people, but I feel like I just get tongue-tied, or I feel like I'm just not quite as competent as I'd like to be to communicate the gospel. Well, guess what? Bring them to, if, if they're willing, bring them to Men's 416. Bring them to a heart to heart. Bring them to Sunday morning, where people who are skilled at communicating the gospel have been have been assigned the job of communicating the gospel. So if, if, so if you are able to bring your friend to church, that ensures that you're going to be able to give them a clear gospel communication, maybe clearer than you suspect that you could give it yourself. So net fishing is a lovely way to be involved. It allows for more gospel touches. All right, here's some practical recommendations of how you could help your friend and you yourself could grow in the practice of evangelism. Number one, do the four-part investigative Bible study with a partner. There's a standard tool that we use at the church. It's not a perfect tool. It's just a tool. We have a four-part evangelistic Bible study that covers sin, the Savior, who he was, the Savior, what he did, and saving faith, how you can get access to that Savior. Right? Four parts. Four. You can do it in four weeks. Or four sessions. You do it all at once, but that would be a long session. Um, now, I'll tell you one thing that happened with me and, me and Johnny. We had a chance to do an investigative Bible study together with a couple who sadly didn't choose to stick around, but um, uh, they were coming for about six months, 
and we wanted to take them through an investigative study. And I thought, what if I do this with them, but what if I bring along someone else with me? And so Johnny stepped in. I got permission from this couple to do the investigative study with Johnny. They met, they met Johnny, and, and they were comfortable with him. And so we sat down, we did it together. And I did three. I led three, and Johnny led the fourth. And he did a marvelous job. Well, guess what? Hopefully that encourages Johnny that he could do it on his own with somebody else or on his own and take somebody else, right? So you're helping one another get facility, get acclimated to using gospel tools. Plus, it allowed me and Johnny to both minister to this couple. I think there's a, there's a, there's a plan in the works to, to take one of the many new people that we've been having coming and start an evangelistic Bible study with her, uh, with some of the women. But it's not just one of this, the RGC ladies. It's several that want to get to know this lady. And like, hey, let's sit down and, and look at the Bible together. Right? And so now, now the person has multiple touch points, multiple people who, are, who, who she knows cares about her and knows are interested in investing in her life. So if you've never, if you're not familiar with that four-part Bible study, you can ask me for a copy, or I think it's even on the website. And the other, the other thing that uh, the other thing that I am pretty excited about these days is strategizing with one another to build a network. Right. So, how can we help one another build relationships? You know. So again, with me and my evangelism buddy Johnny, right? We're now in the same spheres with respect to Georgia youth sports. But some of them are also Johnny's neighbors. And he can have them over for a barbecue. Like it would not be surprising for Johnny to invite them over for a barbecue. It would be really weird at this stage of our relationship for me to invite them over to a barbecue. You know, we're friendly, but not friendly at that level. So I'm saying to Johnny, like, how could you invite them to a barbecue and invite our family at the same time. And now there's, now there's three families at the barbecue, and that will allow me an opportunity to get to know him in a setting that makes more sense than if I just called him out of the blue and offered, him, offered them to come over to my house, which would be like, I uh, don't know you very well, pretty strange for you to be asking me this. right? Help one another build relationships and so that other people can get touches. Does that? Am I making sense about that? So... You know somebody, but your friend doesn't. How can you help your friend get to know your unbelieving friend? Right? How do you help one another network so that you can... Um, so, like, how can we do a movie night? You have a buddy. You know, you have a buddy at work that I've met once. I'd love to get to know him better so that we can both start ministering the gospel. Well, have a movie night at your house. You know, Matt loves movie nights, right? So it's like, okay, Matt, you're going to host the movie night. You know, we're going to have, you know, me and one other guy are going to come from the church, and, and then his friend is going to come. And then we're all going to get together, and it'll be an opportunity for us to build more connection and more relationships. Just trying to be... Now, is that strategic? Is that... A, is that a, Tactics and strategy? Yes. Is it planned? Yes. Now, by the way, does that mean that it's not loving or that it's not, that something can only be loving if it's spontaneous? Don't buy that lie. Don't buy that lie. Intentionality is loving, intentionality is care. Planning is a way of actually making things happen rather than not happen for the good of the eternal souls of other people. 
Okay, now I'm going to stop there and ask for some questions. It's 10.13. We'll probably, I'll probably take more questions and tackle mission next week as part of next week. What are some questions about how to help one another, sharpen one another with evangelism? Or any of the particular suggestions I gave. Fred, do you have a specific book that you of the Bible that you like to go through with somebody? Yeah, if I'm going to go through the Bible with someone, um, I have been leaning more toward Luke of late because if they're willing to do something that's longer. If they're, gonna, if they're only are interested in doing something short, then I'll probably, rather than a book of a Bible, I'll probably do a, a gospel study that'll get them through. But if they're actually interested in like looking at the Bible, like say Josiah's buddy who, at work who wants to read the Bible, like I'd be saying, start at Luke. Because Luke is full of Jesus' love for sinners of all kinds. And showing them how, and actually giving lots of parables about what saving faith looks like. So, plus it has the familiar stories of Christmas, right? Which is just a kind of an easy entry, entry to them. So, Luke, if they're interested in something longer, or if I was going to go through a gospel. Shorter, I'd probably do an investigative study. Other thoughts or other things you've found out? Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't name your name. Eliza. Eliza. Are you in the bedding any Yes, I Fantastic, am. I thought I recognized you. <laughs> Um, I guess for me, just sharing my testimony is a really big deal about evangelizing, especially with other people my age. Um, I don't know, that's just something I found. So. I think Eliza really hit on something. Sharing your testimony, especially if you have your testimony honed to the, to the degree that you actually have the, all the essential components of the gospel in it, can be extremely effective in helping people understand the message of Jesus. Because number one, in an age which glorifies my essential and lived experience, you can say, hey, this is what's happened to me. And by rights, the culture is not allowed to refute that. (laughs) That doesn't mean they won't. But yeah, so nice suggestion, nice suggestion. Tell your own story. Natasha. When I was working with a lot of people, my favorite thing to do was to share about how I've been serving people in the church because it's so different from the world's perspective of being helpful. Yeah. Um, and just being like, oh, I'm so excited to go to a moving day this weekend. And people think you're crazy, but it opens that door of like, why are you doing that? What's this deal? Or ways that the church has been serving you also. So, like, uh, the other, like, we were over at the Waves since last night, and Sonia was telling how her unbelieving family still is, like, a little puzzle whenever she's, like, making meals for the, the family with the new baby. You know, why would you do that? Or why would they do that for you? Let me tell you why. Yeah, Sonia? Um, this is a question slash comment, but um, when you're talking about, like, group evangelism or, like, having somebody over... And John's there too, and like, oh, we're going to share the gospel with him. Like, I think there is a little bit of a danger of someone feeling like a project, um, which we know as Christians is the very best thing that you can be. You know, like when Jimmy was sharing the gospel with me, after he was like coming over and hanging out with me, coming over and hanging out with me, kept talking about God, I was like, wait, 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 are you 
am I a project? Like, are you just trying to get me to be a Christian? And rather than trying to be my friend, right? And I think that's what, you know, so you don't want someone to feel that way, even though that is what you're doing. But if you're not a Christian, it feels like someone's um, manipulating you or something, mm-hmm. you know? Well, the answer is don't manipulate them. I mean, meaning like, you, like, people aren't projects, and yet the work of the gospel in the world is a project we're all engaged in. So one, I would fight the false dichotomy that someone is, you know, just because you have an agenda in a particular friendship does not mean that you don't really want to be their friend. Those two things are not incompatible. So don't think that unless I just want to hang out with them without any thought of doing them spiritual good, that that's more authentic friendship than if I'm trying to have a friendship that's intentional in helping them understand the gospel. One of those is actually better than the other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Damon? I think uh, a great way to, to enter into it is anytime we receive a, a compliment, as we are truly living as Christians, whether it's from friends and our personalities or f- from coworkers and you know, and a diligence or something is always to remember that everything good comes from God and specifically reference that. You know, that's not me, that's yeah. that's Christ. So read and, and give glory to God when you're come when you're praised or complimented. And I, I feel like that's a really good entry to a non believer as we interact with peers. Because I know I, I work in a place where we're not supposed to really push our spirituality on anyone. It's it's big in our regulations, but if it's approached by another person, mm-hmm. then that conversation can happen. And so I think that's just a great way, um, especially if we, you know, just being good representatives of the body. We have to wrap up, but uh, thank you so much for this excellent discussion. Next week we're going to be talking about how to minister to hurting people especially. So, thanks.